What would you do if all your earthly possessions were about to be burned? A believer in Jesus in Ethiopia had to live out the answer to that question. Islamists in her community came to her home at night. Sean Patton tells us what happened next. They drug her out of the home. Her husband wasn't home at the time, but they drug her and her kids outside of the house, lit the house on fire. Uh, she began praying to the Lord, Lord, if, if this is of you, then fine, let the house burn. But if this is of the devil, I pray that you would, you would put out the fire. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with the Regional Director for Africa for the Voice of the Martyrs, Sean Patton. We're going to talk about what God is doing in Sudan and Ethiopia in particular. Uh, Sudan, really, I I think we have some good news to talk about. Uh, Ethiopia, maybe some harder news for the church there. Sean has been with us before here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Sean, welcome back to VOM Radio. Thanks, Todd. There is a significant history for VOM and Sudan. Uh, In fact, I think in many ways, Sudan is what sort of put VOM on the map of the consciousness of American Christians. 1997, we had a team delivering aid in Sudan that was fired upon by a helicopter gunship of the Sudanese government. Uh, That team eventually had to hike to another place where they could be airlifted out. Uh, They were doing live interviews from Sudan and sort sort of got people's attention that, hey, there's persecution going on in Sudan. And also, Voice of the Martyrs is a group that will go to hard places to serve the church. So uh, significant thing, 1997, then Peter Yasek, your predecessor as the Africa Regional Director, gets put in prison in Sudan, serves 445 days after being sentenced to life in prison. So Sudan kind of has a pivotal role in our history here at VOM. But there have been some pretty significant changes in what's happening in Sudan as it relates to religious freedom, as it relates to the church. It may be a new day. This could be really exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about some of the changes that have been happening and what we see as as possibly, like, I don't want to get overconfident, Mm -hmm. but what could be really positive developments for the church. Yeah, this last year, there's been some really unique developments. We've seen things like the apostasy law uh, be revoked in Sudan, which is really exciting. And there have been people who have labored their whole lives to see that law revoked. Just for our listeners, we should explain apostasy is when you were born in a Muslim family and you decide, hey, I'm not going to be a Muslim anymore. Right. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do something else. That was illegal in Sudan. Not only illegal, it carried the death penalty. So having the government say, hey, we're not going to put people to death for changing their religion, Right. obviously that's a big deal. Right. And we've seen a lot of these extreme laws that have been revoked, everything from female genital mutilation to, you know, just greater freedoms for, for even Muslim women. So it's been exciting to see some of that. And uh, I think for everybody there, you know, these... These are positive trends. You can't deny that. So what are the Christians in Sudan, and especially our contacts and the people we work with, 
what are they saying about this? I mean, are they overjoyed or are they like, is this real? I, I just, what what's their response? Yeah, I think I kind of break it down in three different groups. I think uh, people in the country who have been more um, kind of political activists are very excited about things that are going on and very optimistic. On the other side, you have analysts who have been watching this country in particular and countries throughout Africa. And um, they see this as just a way of having kind of a faux democracy where you're still really having a military junta who's going to rule this country. And we see even now, you know, there's a split sovereign council where you have half of it is ruled by the military, half of it is civilian rule. And then um, there's an 11th member that was chosen by both who happens to be a Coptic Christian, which is interesting. And so the first 21 months, the military kind of has more control. And then the last 18 months, it will start shifting to more civilian control. Then there will be an election. And supposedly nobody on the sovereign council or even the current prime minister, Hamdok, is supposed to be allowed to run in that election. But the military guys who are on this sovereign council are war criminals. Um, Burhan, Hameti, these guys are, are people nobody trusts. And, and, so and they're the people who were side by side with Omar al-Bashir they for all these years. Side by side with Bashir. Hameti, um, this guy founded the Janjaweed. If you know anything about those guys, are really bad dudes who committed war crimes in places like Darfur. He started the Rapid Support Forces, which are the, they're like the SS and um in Sudan, these are the, the stormtroopers. These are the bad guys. And he's on this transitional council. he's on council, this transitional so. military council or, and, or on the sovereign council now, as the name is. So when even when they've had peace talks with um, leaders like Ahilu, who is, uh, kind of leads uh, the Sudan People's Liberation Movement north in the Nuba Mountains, where we've been very active and has a large Christian population, Ahilu uh, won't even come to the, the peace table because he's, I'm not going to negotiate with a war criminal. And, and so people are watching this as an analyst, I would say, are a little pessimistic and rightly so. And then I think the church is somewhere in the middle. They're experiencing right now, I think, more freedom than they've ever had. Imagine being an evangelist in a country where the apostasy law has just been revoked. I mean, now people, at least on paper, can know that they could change potentially from Islam to Christianity. And be open about it. Be open about it, not receive the death penalty. I mean, these are all things that are positive and I think the church is excited about, but I would say cautiously optimistic Mm -hmm. like all of us, yeah. So the sense is right now this window is open. Mm -hmm. We don't know how long it'll stay open. Right. So let's go. And I think right now we've, we've seen more Bibles moving into the country than ever before. We've always seen bold evangelists, but um, some of the fruit uh, that they've been able to see in in the last year has been really exciting. And so uh, the way we've had it put to us by some some of the our brothers inside the country who have been actively sharing is, you know, right now no one's looking. And we have a three-year <laughs> window. Year one of that window is, is already gone, but we have we have two more years. We don't know what happens after that, but we're going to take every opportunity in the meantime. I think there's a great lesson there f- yeah. for Christians everywhere. Hey, mm-hmm. if the window's open, go. Right. None of us can predict what will happen a year from now or five years from now. Let's go. Let's let's advance the kingdom. Sean, where do you think this came from? Because I, I think you and, you and mm-hmm. I talked before we hit record on this interview. A lot of people have prayed for Sudan. They have. And, you know, something that happened— 
to me when I was younger. I was in college, went on a, my first mission trip, was supposed to be teaching English in Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia, for an entire summer. Was, was with 30 other college students. It ended up, we got there right at the time that a coup happened. We were trapped in a house. We had shells and, and, and machine gun fire all around us for about a week. We finally were able to be evacuated. We didn't get to do anything in the country. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yet, what was interesting is not long after that, things began to change in Cambodia. Uh, people began coming to faith. And I don't attribute that to us in any way. But I, it is interesting when something like that happens in the West, uh, begins praying for it, that that God it seems to move, and it, it may have just been the final straw. It may have been just one piece and, an, and a much larger plan. But I think about Sudan and just thinking about, we, we think of Miriam Ibrahim, we think of Peter Yasek, and just the fact that so many people were praying for these situations, and we're praying for our brother Peter. It was definitely on our heart, on the hearts of our sister missions around the world. And Peter gets out in 2017, 2018, there's the rumblings, and by early 2019, Bashir is deposed and— And actually and, in the same prison that Peter was prison in. prison with Peter, where Peter was at. And now nobody knows what's going to happen, but anything's possible. And there's just an excitement, I think, of, of what could happen and to see what God's doing. You know, we know that the Lord is the one who—he's in control. He removes kings. He sets up kings. And he removed Bashir. And I think a lot of that had to do with the prayers of his people— and I uh, look forward to seeing what he's going to do in the future. I so agree, and I thank our listeners who prayed for the nation of Sudan, who prayed for Peter uh, when he was in prison. Maybe you heard about Sudan when Miriam Ibrahim was sentenced to death under those apostasy mm-hmm. laws. That was international news. She was pregnant at the time. Hey, Sudan's going to put to death this pregnant Christian lady. A lot of people prayed for Sudan. So we are seeing the fruits of some of those prayers. I, I agree with you. I believe that. How do we pray now for what's happening now? I think one of the things we really need to pray for is the economic situation in Sudan. Um, I think the last time we talked, inflation was about 70% in Sudan. It's wow. 170% right now. I was just reading the other day, in the last, I think, two weeks, just basic food items have risen 50%. The economy is just in shambles right now. You add on top of that COVID-19, that doesn't help. And then the fact that Sudan's been hit by just devastating floods right now. It's a situation where um, our brothers and sisters are suffering under just extreme economic conditions. And so we need to pray for that. It's also, uh, you know, you speak of all of those things. That is also a situation where the advances towards democracy could easily be lost. Exactly. uh, With the economy in shambles, with the desperation. You know, one of the things that pushed this over the edge that started the riots in Sudan that eventually led to Bashir um, stepping down were bread riots, you know, over the price of bread. So, yeah, these these kinds of economic situations. They could close that window a lot faster than three years. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Talk, Um, Talk a little bit about the spiritual condition and, and the, the options for prayer there. Praying for the church to stay focused, and I think we've mentioned that before, to continue to be salt and light in the midst of terrible economic situation, in the midst of all this transition, in the midst of people who are pessimistic and some who are hopeful for what's going to happen, uh, that the church would continue to point people to who our ultimate hope and trust is in, in Jesus Christ. And so that just requires, I think, perseverance and, and stamina and boldness and 
So we just want to pray that the church would would continue to stand, continue to be unified, continue to persevere, and to be the salt and light they've been called to be during this time. Amen. We are talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Sean Patton. He is the Regional Director for Africa here at the Voice of the Martyrs. Sean, I want to switch gears now, and I want to encourage our listeners, please do be in prayer for Sudan. In fact, come to vomradio.net, send me a note, and let me know that you're praying for our brothers and sisters in Sudan. Remember, this window is open right now. Let's pray that they can make great progress spiritually as this open window is there. And so I'd love to hear that you're praying for our brothers and sisters in Sudan Sean, let's talk about Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And Ethiopia is a country that has been on our prayer map for a while. Right. But it's not one that we hear a lot about. It's not one, you know, we think of as as a lot of really intense persecution. Mm-hmm. But that may be changing. This is another country that may be changing, but it might be changing in the other direction. Instead of getting better, it seems to be getting harder to be a Christian. Yeah, most people think of Ethiopia as a Christian country, but in reality, evangelical Christians in the nation are only 15 to 20 percent of the population. Um, interestingly, that's, I think, kind of what makes Ethiopia what, what I call the perfect storm for persecution right now is because they do have enough Christians to really have momentum in the country and yet not enough that really they're any kind of majority in, in the country as far as evangelicals. So you have a, in Ethiopia a really strong church, and um, I think even on, our, on your radio broadcast you've had a, a Dr. Simone, who um, is one of the general secretaries from one of the major denominations there. And so you have a, a, a church that was birthed in persecution. They suffered under the communists in the 70s and 80s. Uh, they grew a thousand percent. <laughs> as they were underground, <laughs> suffering under persecution. That's not bad. That's not bad Most at all. Most of our pastors would be happy with that. And, you know, um, I was talking to our field leader the other day, and he said, you know, it's just uni- a unique church in that he's never met anybody, any of the leaders uh, in, in the church in Ethiopia, who don't just get persecution. You know, that they, don't under- they all understand it's just a part of the, mm-hmm. the deal. It's part and of their DNA as a church. It really. is. And so so you have this, this church that— um, has almost 20%. They're out there. They have a, a mission mindset, an evangelistic mindset. They're pressing in to unreached areas. Some of those unreached areas would be in the south where you have Aromo Muslims. Aromo Muslims are the, the majority population in the country. Um, they're also pressing in the Somali areas out in the eastern part of the country. And then pressing into Ethiopian Orthodox strongholds into the north. So this, this evangelistic advance as well into these areas is causing persecution. On top of that, you have really kind of a revival of, of Wahhabism and more radical Islam with the Oromo population. So kind of all of this together has, has created uh, a perfect storm uh, in which the church has, has come under really vicious attack. I want to unpack something you said as we were getting ready for this interview. This is persecution for their Christian activity mm-hmm. as opposed to for their Christian identity. Right. Unpack that a little bit for our listeners and explain how those are different and why these Ethiopian Christians are being persecuted, not just because they say, hey, I'm a Christian. Right. They are actively advancing the kingdom. Right. 
Well, you know, you could you could go to church on Sunday and someone might bomb your church and you would be a victim of persecution, but you would be a victim of persecution in the sense of identity persecution. You're identifying as a Christian, maybe you're a practicing Christian, and people are targeting Christians generically, right? But when we say people are suffering for the activity of their faith, we're talking about people who are active witnesses. They are sharing the gospel. They are making a difference. People are coming to faith which is what triggers the persecution. They see Christianity expanding and growing and pressing into these new areas. And that's what we've seen in Ethiopia. Much of the persecution has been a backlash of the advances that the church is making. And so if we think even of Sudan that we've talked about, you know, where you have a Christian population that is dug in, trying to hold on, the government's trying to eradicate them and, and move them out or destroy them, and there's activity, there's identity all involved in that. We think of northern Nigeria, where Islam is trying to push Christians out of northern Nigeria, and they're dug in. And some of that persecution's identity persecution, some of its activity. But in Ethiopia, we're really seeing where the majority of it is activity of the faith, that people are sharing the gospel in these unreached areas. And it's really very exciting what the church is doing and the reasons why the persecution is happening. I want us to unpack for our listeners a little bit about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Mm -hmm. uh, because you mentioned there's areas where the Ethiopian Orthodox is persecuting the evangelical church. Mm -hmm. There's also areas where the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is being persecuted by Muslims. So talk a little bit about that and, and how we decide which situations we're going to become involved in in helping the Christians who are facing persecution. Yeah, so in the in northern Ethiopia, where it really is an Ethiopian Orthodox stronghold and where believers are active, they are being persecuted by the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. An example of that is um, I was meeting with, with a brother who had come to faith uh, while he was actually in jail. I'm not sure what he was in jail for, but he was he was led to faith while he was in jail. Um, once he got out, he began sharing in his village, and he was the only evangelical Christian in his village. He lived in a, a village that was, he was surrounded by people who were Ethiopian Orthodox. The youth of the village decided to make an attempt on his life and in the life of his family, and so one night they came to his home. They barred up the door so that his, he and his family couldn't get out of the house, and then they lit the house on fire. What they didn't know that was he had an ox that was giving birth. He was sleeping in the barn that night, and so he saw the house on fire, was able to dislodge the barricade and get in and get his family out. But it, it just kind of illustrates the intensity of the persecution that even comes from a group like the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. But also in, in some of the Muslim areas where the Ethiopian Orthodox are not the majority, when you have evangelical Christians that are sharing their faith and they begin to get, get persecuted, sometimes the Ethiopian Orthodox get caught up in that as well. Uh, the Muslims come, they see a cross around someone's neck, and they don't really care if you're evangelical or if you're orthodox. They persecute you. And so in some instances, we've actually helped orthodox Christians who have been persecuted by Muslims. And so it's, it's a tricky dynamic. And then in the midst of that, there's a major reform movement within the orthodox church where you have several priests who are genuine believers, who know the gospel, who are sharing the gospel, who are staying within the church to try to reform the church from within. So it's a complex issue, and it's, a, it's an old church, a very historical church with really interesting uh, history and background. I don't know if we can get into all of that today, but presents some unique challenges. You talked about the fact that, that this man's house was set on fire mm-hmm. with his family inside, and, and they've 
the attackers thought he was inside too. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other persecution stories? What do these attacks look like? What does persecution look like in Ethiopia right now? So that would be Ethiopian Orthodox. Let me move to Muslim persecution. And, and I think one story that, that really illustrates the, the fact that the church is advancing and on the, on the move. There was a lady, I'm not going to say what her name was, but her husband was a outreach coordinator for a local denomination and um, was charged with bringing Muslims to faith. And, and when uh, Muslims did convert, helping those who were facing persecution and helping them be assimilated into the church, the Muslims ended up attacking several of, of the Christians, their homes, uh, part of a, a church compound. Her home was set on fire. They drug her out of the home. Her husband wasn't home at the time, but they drug her and her kids outside of the house, lit the house on fire. Uh, she began praying to the Lord, Lord, if, if this is of you, then fine, let the house burn. But if this is of the devil, I pray that you would you would put out the fire. And it began to rain, and the wow. fire was put out on her home, and she thanked God for that. But then she heard them yelling, we found the leader, we found the leader. And, and they all started running, and she sort of followed behind. And when she got there, she realized it was her husband. Mm-hmm. And um, he had been beheaded, and they were dancing around his body and cheering and chanting and um, eventually left. Her and her children uh, took the head of their father and his body and, and drug them back to the house, covered them, and sat there uh, till the next morning until help arrived. But this woman's faith is amazing, and she continues to uh, give glory to God and to thank Him for the grace that He's shown her to help her get through. But I think that illustrates the fact that they are targeting Christians mm-hmm. who are making a difference and who are converting Muslims. And, and we have some really amazing brothers and sisters who are enduring very, very violent persecution. There's been large-scale attacks. Uh, just this summer alone, we've had uh, over 267 families who have had homes destroyed, businesses destroyed, their churches have been destroyed. And there's just been a targeted effort to try to drive them out. It used to be just destroy the church and they'll go away. Um, we've actually helped rebuild a lot of those churches, and those churches have grown after being rebuilt and people seeing the Lord actually provide and, um, and seeing the love that Christians show toward one another. And so that strategy has really turned to be more focused on attacking individuals, attacking their homes, burning their homes, martyring those who are— um, who are the leaders of, of the advancement of the gospel in those areas. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Sean Patton. He is the regional director for Africa here at the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, Sean, I want to talk about rebuilding churches, because traditionally that's not necessarily something VOM always did. The kind mm-hmm. of the attitude was, well, hey, they burnt it down before. We can help you rebuild it, but what's going to stop them from re- burning it down again? Right. Why is it so significant, though, specifically in Ethiopia— yeah. for that building to exist? Well, some of it is you already have a, an, an above-ground established church, and and that's important, I think, for them to keep a presence in the area. But some of it has to do with the land laws as well. And so one of the things that would happen is um, maybe a local Muslim government, you, you have Muslims who attack a church, they burn it to the ground, the church can't afford to rebuild it, and now the land's not being used for the purpose that the government assigned the land for. And so then the local, maybe Muslim government, takes it back. Pretty soon you have a mosque that's built on the land. So just some of those land laws and, and, and the way that the government allots land for specific purposes. The, the national government might give land to a church to build. But if the church isn't 
building or isn't right. using uh, the grounds for that purposes, it can be taken back by local governments. And we've just seen too, though, that when we've when we've stepped in, and 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 I don't think in any situation that we've provided more than fifty percent, the church always has skin in the game. And we've seen situations where we rebuild a church, and it's just amazing. Of of we've seen situations where they've painted all the churches that have been rebuilt a certain color. I think the last time it was pink, and so you have all these pink buildings, and it's and they did that just as a testimony that that the Lord has provided. And these were the churches that were once destroyed, but now stand again. And we've seen in those rebuilds that the church just swells. And they, you know, they build this building and it's, and now people are standing outside looking in the windows. It's been amazing to see what that means to a community. And and we also have to remind our listeners, you know, there's not places in Africa, you, you can't rent the local elementary school to go meet in or, um, uh, some of the options that we might have in America where you say, well, why why wouldn't you just meet as a house church or why wouldn't you just meet in some other facility? And sometimes that just doesn't exist. Let's talk about, Sean, I, I know we're going to share a story in our magazine in December. And for our listeners, if, if you don't get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, you can come to vomradio.net. There's a link right at the top of the page that says free magazine. Just click on that. We will send it to you. Uh, but we're going to have a story in our December magazine about a church that was bulldozed mm-hmm. for a, quote, quote, road-building project in Ethiopia. Talk a little bit about that church and how God turned that situation around and the ministry just kept right on going. Yeah, so this is in eastern Ethiopia, and we, we had heard about a church that had been destroyed for the purposes of a road being built and didn't really know what that meant. We went to see it. And so we're, we're driving on a road that's a major highway that uh, links uh, Somaliland to Ethiopia, where all the traffic comes through. And it's just a two-lane paved road. And then we get to a dirt road that turns off of this. And it is like a six-lane U.S. highway. It looks like a freeway in, in the U.S. in Los Angeles, except it's just a dirt road that goes to nowhere. It looks almost like a, a, a dirt runway. And there's no traffic on it at all. Nothing's happening on this road. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. The local Muslim government built this road right where the church was at to take out the church. They had to destroy homes and everything else to to build this road. But then they rebuilt all the homes of the Muslims there in the community, but then gave the church nothing to rebuild. And so it really was an attempt just to take out the church. And so the church began looking for another place where they could meet. They found a, a brothel that was being sold, and they bought the brothel, and, and we helped summon that so that they could uh, convert it into a church. And the amazing thing was, was probably two weeks after that, um, we began getting pictures. And I remember standing in this courtyard of this brothel. There's kind of a courtyard in the middle with a grassy area. They had dug a hole in the courtyard and put a tarp there, and they had already baptized 18 believers in the brothel, uh, many of which were uh, Somalis. It's interesting, and, and we see this all over the world. Obviously, Satan was wanted to close down that church, mm-hmm. so we create a little road-building project mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere right. to bulldoze the church, and then a few weeks later, they're baptizing eight new, 18 new believers. Right. Um, so the kingdom is advancing in spite of the persecution. And that's what I love about the church. Like we, this is on the edge of the frontiers, right? And we have to keep a presence here. We have to, we have to maintain a beachhead. That was their, their mentality. And we were thankful to help them be able to do that. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Sean Patton. He is the regional director for Africa 
what does the government do in these situations? And you've talked about the difference between the national government and the local government. Mm -hmm. The national government may say, you have religious freedom, you even have this place for building your church, but the local government may not cooperate. Right. How does the power structure set up, and, and what's the situation for a Christian who's facing persecution? Who do they go to for help? Yeah, I, I think the national government does want to try to provide um, security and, and rights and protection to Christians, both Orthodox or Evangelical, in the country. Being a minority, sometimes you don't always experience those protections on a local level. You do have local governments who have authority and have power, and then you have also family dynamics and things like that when you convert from Islam to Christianity. And so we don't see the government being the, the persecutor. But we do see at the local level that sometimes that persecution is allowed to happen as is even um, it comes from local governments and then um, uh, just the radical elements at the local level. We've talked a little bit about Voice of the Martyrs helping to rebuild churches. What are the other kinds of projects that VOM is doing to help the church to keep advancing and to support those who have been persecuted? One is always Bibles. I mean, we're always um, supporting churches with Bibles when they are advancing the gospel. And as people come to faith and need a copy of the scriptures in a language that they can understand or an audio Bible or a children's Bible or whatever the need is. And then, of course, we're standing with the church and helping in any way we can with the advancement of the gospel, whether that's an evangelist that needs a motorbike or um, whether that's a, a situation where we're helping a church stay on those frontier areas or helping rebuild churches um, to be a beachhead. Persecution and the advancement of the gospel, we believe, just goes hand in hand, and so we help in both areas. What does it mean to a church leader in Ethiopia? I think of this evangelist who was killed. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to them to know that there is somebody to look after their family, if, if that happens to them, that there is somebody to help make sure they have a roof over their head. There is somebody, if their house is burned down, mm -hmm. that will step in. How does that empower them, or, or how does that bless them to know that? You know, some of the most moving moments I've ever had on the field was when we've sat with evangelists, and we've, we've told these guys, especially guys who are very bold, who are risking their lives every day, and you tell them, what can we pray for? And it, it's usually their main concern is their family and their children and what's going to happen to them if something were to happen to them, God forbid. But to be able to tell those guys, and I've had the privilege of being able to tell many guys this, that brother, if anything happens to you, we will take care of your family for as long as, as your wife lives and until your children are uh, in college and can and take care of themselves. And um, just every time that that's happened, to see them break down in tears and uh, what that means to them, you know, and, and I know that, and you know that as, as a father. And we often say, you know, if, if you were to take uh, an evangelist or a believer and tell them, you know, you can, you can take a beating today or you could take your livelihood or, you know, it, it doesn't hurt till it starts hurting your family. Most of these guys would risk a lot, but the, the, the thought of their family suffering for the activity of what they're doing is they know the Lord's in control, but it's that dual tension you feel mm -hmm. that as a husband, you've been charged to protect and provide for your family. And you've also been charged to take the gospel. Having those two responsibilities at the same time is hard. And to know that even if something happens to you, that somebody's going to be there to help protect and provide for your family. 
it just frees them up. It's been a, a great privilege to be able to sit with, with brothers and um, to assure them of that. The reason Voice of the Martyrs is able to do that is because Christians here in the U.S. have given uh, and committed to stand with persecuted Christians around the world. There is a donate tab at vomradio.net. If you want to be a part of that, you can do so. Brother Sean, as we finish up, we talked about how to pray for Sudan. Let's talk about how to pray for Ethiopia, for the country as a whole, but more specifically for our Christian brothers and sisters who are facing this intense persecution right now. Mm -hmm. Pray for the church to be bold and, and to stand and to be wise. I know that Again, some of these situations with like the Ethiopian Orthodox, it's, it's complicated, it's complex, and you know, we want to be as, as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. And so just for, for wisdom, I, I'm just so thankful that there is a strong church there in Ethiopia, so that the church would press forward and continue to grow. And they've grown under persecution and would pray that they would continue to do that even as they face intense opposition right now. And then I would say, you know, uh, praying for these individuals um, who are struggling right now, trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet, and, and we're trying to assess that situation of how we can help, but have lost homes, businesses, you know, pray for them. And I, I would say, you know, we mentioned uh, this dear sister who lost her husband, let's call her Abby, and uh, just pray for Sister Abby as she continues to try to raise a family with, without a husband, and and to learn what it means to, to walk with Jesus day by day, and step-by-step, step, even through all this grief and trauma. He has promised to be a husband to the widow, Amen. and we claim that promise on Abby's behalf and on behalf of uh, others who have had their husbands or their wives killed for their faith in Christ. Brother Sean, it's always fun when we get to talk about mm -hmm. what God is doing. I, I also encourage our listeners to pray for you and for your team as you mentioned, there's a lot of need for discernment in these mm -hmm. situations about, okay, how how is the best way to help in this situation? Um, so we pray for you as well. You. Uh, and I encourage our listeners, pray for the nation of Ethiopia, pray for the nation of Sudan this week, uh, and encourage your Christian friends to pray with you. Uh, maybe point them to this particular episode, encourage them to listen, uh, encourage them that God has answered many prayers in Sudan. Uh, and now we pray for Ethiopia. We pray for that same movement of God there. I hope you'll be back with us next week as we talk about what God is doing in South Asia. We're going to meet some long-term kingdom workers from that part of the world. I know you'll be encouraged by that. Please be back with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.